Hello, and welcome to the Don't Look Podcast, episode number 19. I'm your host, Kelly Simmons, and this week I have the pleasure of interviewing local artist RJ Higgins. And you guys, I came to know RJ through moving to St. Augustine in 2017, and one of the first events that I went to here on my own was an art show. I think it was called Made in St. Augustine over at Lewis Field, which we have here in the center of town. And he just had, to me, the coolest stuff I had ever seen. It was all these things representative of the ocean from fish to jellyfish to, I think he had a couple of paintings with flamingos and butterflies at the time on driftwood. And it was things that in life are soft creatures that he used hard mediums to convey his interpretation of these critters. And it just spoke to me so much. I just remember wanting to know more about what this person did and their creative process. And that day I bought a couple of things and I still have them. They're really small pieces because um, I had just moved in and I have them funny. And so I continue to watch him grow and not only did his pieces grow, but they grew in complexity. So now you guys you've got to check him out. I'll link all this up in the show notes. He is on um, Instagram. Now, if you look at his stuff, you go find him. He's at the local farmer's market that we used to have before COVID here at the amphitheater. He does, do you still, RJ, do the one up in Palencia, the Friday night one? No, I haven't done that in a while. So if you guys just check out, check out around town where he is, and he also does commissions, but check out his Instagram feed because now his stuff is not only bigger, it's more complex and has depth, like actual 3D. So he'll combine some wire with some wood, with some metal, with some lights, with some paint, and it's all scrap stuff that people give him. And he makes these amazing pieces of art that just, uh, I just find so much joy in them. So I wanted to have him on because one of the things that we talk about on this podcast, RJ, if you had a chance to listen to the episodes, is up-leveling. Up-level our life, right? How do we live better longer? Not just physically and mentally taking care of ourselves, but challenging ourselves to do new things. And one way that we can do that is try something new. You guys, he certainly tried something new. He figured out he was left-handed by doing art, but not necessarily by choice. So art... Yeah. Would you take us to take us back to the time before where we are now and then take us up to where we are now so that we can get to know you a little bit better? Okay, so go back to 2010. I was in negotiations with my employer to purchase the company that I started at at the ground floor. Okay. And it's a industrial company, a lot of heavy automation. They do business worldwide and things were looking good. We just moved into our dream home or we're, sorry, we're moving into our dream home on 140 acres out in Oregon. And it was like a Robert Frost painting. It was beautiful. Well, the third day of the move, I moved the ATVs up to the property and I was tired of the long day of moving. And I decided I was gonna take one of the four wheelers for a spin. And I went flying out the driveway. And when I came back up, I was doing maybe 15 miles an hour and lost it and ran into a tree and went over the handlebars and hit with the top of my head. And I fractured C1, C2, C3, and burst C4. And I was paralyzed from the neck down. And the prognosis was I'd never walk again. And initially they were right. I mean, it, it sucked and it was scary. And I can't even quantify how terrifying it is to wake up and realize that 
you're no longer in control of anything. Uh, and I literally mean anything. Um, even your thoughts tend to just wander off with rage and fear and panic. So I had my daughter turned two three days before the accident and my son was five and I knew my family needed me. So I decided that I wasn't really going to accept what they were telling me. I was going to really, I was going to do my own thing. I was going to fight. And I was learning how to walk early on, but I wasn't really proficient at it for quite a few months. And by proficient, I mean like uh, not needing a huge walker to go three feet. <laughs> I mean like walk across the room with a couple of walking sticks and, you know, have people holding me up. Um, it, it took years before I actually could do it without, well, I still am afraid that I'll fall sometimes, but uh, without constant fear. And uh, so as a result of my injury, I have a center cord injury, which means that the from the chest down, I can't really feel a whole lot, but I'm split hemispherically from left to right. Okay. And on my right side, I have a great deal of tension and tone is what it's called mm -hmm. and hypersensitivity. So I don't really have much function. I used to be right-handed, which really sucks. Yeah. And uh, so when the wind blows past the hair on my legs or my arms, it feels like it's burning the skin off my body and never goes away. It just, that's just how it goes. But on my left side, I have what appears to be normal function, even though if you really started to watch closely, things don't work normally but I can move them but I can't feel them at all like in my left hand in order to draw or paint or use a grinder or the torch or a welder I've got to look at my hand or I'll drop it and uh, that that can be kind of a pain if you're holding a paintbrush and you've suddenly made every painting I have has an oops in it at least one <laughs> and I know where they're all at and I will never ever divulge where they're at but that's how it goes. You just work with your, within the confines of, of your body. Now, out in the shop with a welder and the torches and things, um, yeah, it can get scary. I've grabbed things that I shouldn't have that were really hot. I've had tools break in my hand and I didn't feel it and realized that things were stuck in my hand and things like that. So. I try to be careful. I can't really wear gloves because that makes it even more dangerous because I really can't see my hand. I can't. Everything I do with my left hand is, has a conscious thought. Mm -hmm. Hold the sander. Don't let go. Hold the welder still. Don't let go. Hold the trigger. Let go of the trigger. All these things are... Right. I'm getting some muscle memory, but it's. I wasn't left-handed, so it doesn't know that it's supposed to do that stuff. So how long after your accident did you realize, oh, I'm not going to be able to buy this company now. I'm going to have to do something else. Um, I was, I had the best boss in the world and he was an incredibly generous man. And I got this wild hair that I was going to go back to work. And I was in a, a power wheelchair that I could steer with my left hand. So he propped me up to a desk, put a headset on me so I could answer phones and, and talk to my customers and, handling my sales calls and things like that. And uh, I did that for I think, two months and we all pretty, I didn't realize it as fast as they did, but 
we be, became pretty clear that it wasn't going to happen. Um, so we parted ways as friends. And to this day, I still, I adore that man. He's a great guy. He, he really helped out in ways that he'll, he'll never fully understand. Um, so then I was lost. You know, I, I wheeled my wheelchair out to the yard and I would just kind of look around and look out in the valley and you know, what's my worth? What's my place in this world? Because up to that point, I could show you with what I'd done with my hands, the value and me being around, you know, so now what? And so I decided I was going to go back to school and uh, I was going to be a math teacher. Okay. Uh, I'd never gone to college. Actually, I take that back. I took one class, I think. Geez, like forever ago, 1993, maybe. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so I started taking classes and I was doing really well. I, I actually surprised the hell out of myself. I was excelling at it, but I needed to take notes for some of these harder classes and I didn't really have any use in my hands. So I said, well, I'll take a watercolor class. I have to fill electives. And that's like, how hard can it be? We all did watercolor, right? You know, we've all done that. So yeah, that's hard and it's really hard. And it's one of the most difficult mediums to do. I did not know that. And my professor was fantastic. And um, little Japanese lady, I wheeled myself in the wheelchair and she and I got along great. And she taught me a ton and I couldn't believe how well I was doing. And I, I kind of knew I was picking it up, but when I got to the end of the, the semester, she said, well, we're all going to do a show. Everybody gets an art show for their day. Right. And she said, now I hadn't really talked to any of the other students. I hadn't really told them anything about me or what happened. I was still kind of lost. So she said, don't tell anybody, but after you're done, I want you to tell them what you did and how you've come to do what you're doing now. So I did. And, the kid that's sitting next to me, he just slams his stuff down. He's like, I can't even do that right-handed. <laughs> He's like, this is awful. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. And uh, So I left that class and then went on to, I took a drawing class the following semester, same teacher. Um, I really wanted to, now that I knew I could use my hand, I really wanted to, to get a fine tune on it. And she, I attribute her for, kind of bouncing me into this direction. So RJ, where was this? You're still in on the West Coast and were you at a university? Is that where I was you out, I was out in uh, I was in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. And I was at the community college out there. Okay. And um, then when we moved, I don't know, I, I well, there's so many different facets to this, but every time it would get cold when the winter would set in, it started raining out there end of October and it didn't stop until the end of May yeah. and it's just winter so and it's cold and cold hurts mm -hmm. and you know nerve pain neuropathy is no bueno with cold and aside from that if there's ice or snow it's scary as hell to walk on when you can't walk normally anyway so I finally looked at my wife and I said why are we doing this you know time's passing and I'm losing ground every winter let's go back to Florida and she's from Fort Myers, and that's where we met. And uh, we looked into it, but the schools really aren't that great there. Okay. So 
quick Google search, guess where the best schools in the state are? St. John's uh -huh. County. We had never been here um, and moved here sight unseen. And we so wanted how old were your kids at that point? How old was your daughter and son? Uh, let's see. I think Trey went into fifth grade and Emily was starting kindergarten. Okay. So that was about five years ago now, I guess. Almost six. So that was good because then you didn't really, she didn't really know any different. Your son was kind of in the middle, probably missed some friends, but wasn't like a senior prom or anything. So it was a good time to move them. Yeah, we, we didn't want to wait too much longer. And, and the friends he had out there, he's still very good friends with them. He still keeps in touch with them. Wow, that's great. So, and, and she didn't, she was still so young. Right. Yeah. So when we moved here, I continued my classes online and I started to put in time at schools you know you got to build your I was going to be a math teacher middle grades math teacher mm -hmm. and I really wasn't feeling it I'd probably get fired on the first or second day <laughs> uh, I grew up in a in an a environment where you respected your elders and if you screwed up your parents got on you and not the teacher and I saw enough things that I was like this is not going to work. Yeah. And in the midst of all of this, I was still honing my skills and drawing and painting. Right. And one day my daughter went in for, we took her in to get her tonsils taken out. And when she came out of surgery, we took her home and a couple of days of just misery. She's just not happy. So I said, why don't we sit at the table and draw? And I started to draw my first sea turtle and I still have it. And as a graphite, just a pencil drawing, but the detail on it was my wife walked by, stopped her in the tracks, and she looked over my shoulder and said, well, where the hell is that coming from? I was like, well, don't say anything. You might scare it. You know, just, <laughs> I don't know where it's coming from, but I'm feeling pretty good, so leave me alone. So, uh, And that was kind of where it went. And so where did you get your inspiration or your love of things, the ocean? I mean, I know you grew up in Florida and you had lived on the West Coast, but there's plenty of people that live in coastal areas that don't necessarily give two winks at a sea turtle. So where, where does your love for that come from? Um, well, I grew up in Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay. Okay. And so I grew up on the water and I've always loved the water. And then when I moved to Florida, I moved to Sanibel and Captiva oh. and did a lot of surfing yeah. and when the waves were up. And then when it wasn't up, I'd be out swimming, snorkeling, fishing, Doing all that, all the water stuff. I mean, I'm a water baby. I've been a surfer since I was 16 years old. And so that's also where it comes from. And then I worked on a, at, the, at a private preserve on Sanibel and they did a sea turtle patrol and I went out with them. And there's just something about holding a little baby loggerhead in your hand. And he's like the size of a silver dollar. And, you know, how are you going to get to be so massive and just, I don't know. They seem so stoic and ancient. Right. The, I don't know. They captured my heart at that moment and then never let go. And so take us to, you're here in Florida now. You're finding it. So how soon after you get here, you're like, yeah, we made the right decision because there's no more cold. There's no more fear of walking in the ice and the, the freezing pavement. 
are you at the same time realizing, okay, this was the right thing to do, but you're also, are you getting more mobility? Is your arts progressing? Is that happening at the same time? Um, yeah, it's all kind of happening. It's all clicking. Um, so let me, my, I noticed my kids were really doing well in school. They enjoyed it. And I was still kind of drawing and doing things like that. And I ran into a group here, the Art of, Ark of the St. John's, and they've been taking me out surfing once a month. So, they're, and they're like family now. So I've got this core group of guys that I trust and girls that I trust with my life because literally I can't swim. I'm pretty much just Bob, you know? Um, so they throw me up on a board and they shove me into the waves and I get to feel that glide again. And um, in that group, the lady that the director, Lynn, she saw one of my sea turtle paintings and says, well, can I have it? I want one. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I was going to give it to her. And she's like, no, I want to buy it. I'm like, hey, get out of here. What are you talking about? And uh, that is pretty much where it started. She, she purchased the first one and then, and it was a black and white ink drawing of a sea turtle. Um, yeah, it was really detailed. And then through a lot of pushing and shoving from a lot of people in that group and some of my other friends that you need to go talk to the farmer's market. And I said, okay, we'll see what happens. And I got lucky. There was an opening. They put me in. I remember seeing, I have to find him, but I've got pictures of the first booth and it is so anemic. It's like, <laughs> there's like maybe a dozen things hanging up and a couple of things on the table. And I'm like, how the hell did I even think that that was a good idea? You know, but it got me started. So. so take us through your evolution as an artist from your black and white sketches on paper to the 3D multi-media, multi-dimensional stuff you do now. Was that a progression or was that just one day you were like, oh, I'm done with the paper, I wanna to start to fiddle around with the, you know, cause you're talking about a welder and a soldering iron, like that's a big difference from some charcoals on paper. So way back when I was working before my accident, I had an hour lunch break every day. And it takes me like five minutes to eat lunch. And so now I have 55 minutes to do something. Mm -hmm. So I would go out and straighten up the welding bench or dink around and fix things. Or, And then one day I got a wild hair that I made a sea turtle. I made a metal sea turtle. And that, I still have it. My wife told me if I ever get rid of it, I'm going to need an attorney. Um, and I missed welding and I wanted to see if I could do it again. Mm -hmm. So I bought a crappy little welder at Harbor Freight to see if I could teach myself to do it left-handed. Mm -hmm. And turns out I was able to do it. And I've since burned that welder up. But um, yeah, that's kind of where it was, was just to see if I could. Right. And then I just started getting junk and my son pointed it out actually yesterday that the very first satellite dish that i got they found out in the power lines near where we used to live mm -hmm. and he brought it back on his little go-kart concrete post and everything <laughs> and so that was the first one and I, I remember looking at it and going wow it's metal i thought they were all fiberglass and we'll see what i can do with it and that that one was where it really started I think I cut an octopus out of that one. Gotcha. So 
there's several things that I love in your art that I just think you do impeccably well. The sea turtles, mermaids, the octopuses, I kind of just like saying that word. Um, I like when you do the seascapes that have all of those things in them. I really love your uh, sperm whales. So I'm from New Bedford, Massachusetts, and our high school mascot is the whalers, and it's based on uh, Moby Dick, Herman Melville, used to live where I grew up, and so that Growing up in my house, there was always some silhouette or something that had a whale figure on it. So I just appreciate that you have many different versions of that. Is your process the same for every time you do a turtle, every time you do an octopus, or does it differ depending on the medium that you're using or the solder gun that you're using, right? Maybe it's not heated up enough that day, or how does that work? Um. I very seldom go into a project knowing what I'm going to do. Uh, a lot of times I'll make, for the wooden paintings that I do when I paint on fences and stuff, I'll make the canvas, is what I call it, the background first, and then I'll let it sit in the studio. And I've got one, two, I've got three of them in here right now that I just kind of look at them and see what, what kind of composition would fit. Sometimes the, the actual piece of wood just lends itself to certain things yeah. um, but as far as the metal sculptures and things like that that is almost always a result of it just catching my eye just right and seeing I have a huge pile of metal in my metal shop and I'll start moving things around just rooting through it and out of nowhere I'll see boom oh look at you hiding in there and then my job is to make sure I get him out of there without making a mess and ruining it. Yeah. <laughs> and so how do you, so you can see the evolution in your work from your charcoal and your paper to painting to being sculptures, but at what point did you discover, oh, I can do this fish in 3D with some wire, different pieces of wood that I paint and put some lights in there. How did that come about? I don't know. I would love to tell you, but I don't know. I, I think what ended up happening was I, I, one of the first ones I cut out, I think it may have been the first one, the octopus in the satellite dish, I held it up and looked at it. And it must have been like a lot of light behind it. Maybe it was towards the sun. And I was like, wow, that is powerful. So I wonder how I can wire this up so it actually shines in someone's house. Right. Um, that's the only thing I can think of because it was more of, it was such an organic kind of thing where it just kind of happened um, that I, I don't remember the specifics of how it all went down. And it, it is an evolution. I remember one of the first, I did a, a seahorse with lights behind it. And I went through great pains to make sure that I had that wire lined up behind every facet of that thing. Forgetting that light just diffuses itself through it evenly without, I could have had a solid wad back there, it wouldn't matter. But I drove myself nuts, tacking on all these little mounts to hang this light. And I think it may have been my father-in-law pointed out, he's like, yeah, you, you know, you probably don't need to do all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, now I know that, but I didn't at the time, so. And so where did the idea to add the epoxy to the turtle shells come from, to fill in those holes that are naturally there? Um, that one, I think, is because some of the, the artists that I've been studying on Instagram and, and online, I've seen a lot of, uh, and by artists, these are true craftspeople that are making these um, 
used to have waterfall tables and the live edge tables and things like that with the big chunks of wood. And I've always been fascinated with that, but I'm not physically capable of doing anything like that. So I was like, well, what can I do? Because I really love the effect. So the small pieces of wood that I could handle, I went ahead and just played around with it. And I made like a live edge epoxy stool kind of thing. And I thought, like, well, that was kind of cool. And then I got to looking at it and was like, but that is nothing. This is not anything I normally do. Um, so what would I do? Well, then I carved the stool seat into a turtle. <laughs> that is kind of how it goes. And a lot of it's just trial and error. Um, I could fill a dumpster, probably lots of dumpsters now with the stuff that didn't work. But I share some of that online because some people need to see that it's not all Right. You don't always get it out of the park on the first swing, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I usually, depending on the piece, I will go ahead and share some of the oopses and whoops, that didn't work out. Um, so, yeah. And for those that don't work out, do you scavenge that, you know, because you're using scrap stuff anyway. Do you still keep that and say, all right, I'm going to use that flipper from that one or that, you know, do you still keep that to use in other pieces? Yeah, I usually... It depends on what it is though. Like um, sometimes the paintings, I have to sand it all off because it's not like canvas where you can't just paint over it. Um, so sometimes I'll, re I'll sand it all down. Um, some of the metal sculptures, they can, they will lend themselves to other things. Some of them, they just, they just don't and you just recycle them. So what are your goals your next steps for your art do you have other things i know you said you were looking at some true established artisans online but for yourself do you have any goals like you want to make the biggest sperm whale out of metal that anyone's ever made left-handed like anything like that um uh, my goal is i really want to make some large installation pieces um the kinds that have to be moved around with forklifts and stuff. And I'm hoping that someday I, I will have a shop that I can do that. Uh, the, the ideas keep banging around in my head. So eventually they're going to want to come out somewhere. Um, but yeah, I, I really like to make some, some bigger, more intricate pieces. I, right now I spend a lot of time um, trying to carve faces and paint faces. Um, it's so hard to do it justice and to do it properly. And at this point, I'm not there yet, but I keep trying and I'll ultimately get it, but it's going to be just time. So who are some of your favorites that you are a fan of? Like when you see their work that you kind of just peek out and you're like, oh, look, this is so cool. Who are some of the artists that you follow? Um, well, in the vein, kind of in similar vein, but not the same stuff that I do. There's a guy, his name is Instagram named Kalo. And he's actually, I think, out of Ormond Beach. He's south of here. Hopefully, one of these days, I'm going to meet him. Um, but he makes some really beautiful, I don't really know what you'd call them. They're like Hawaiian tribal kind of mahi and redfish. And, and he does them out of, um, from what I can gather, dimensional lumber, like scrap lumber you'd find on a washed up pier or something. And it's really, and he paints within the wood grain, which it sounds easy and I've tried dinking around with it and I can't do it justice. He's been doing it for a while. Got it. Um, there's a fellow up in New England, um, Dave, I think his last name's Turner, Wooden Whale Company. 
on Instagram. And I love his work. His whales, they're all hand carved. They're all um, huge slabs of, not all of them huge, but they're cut out of slabs of wood, olive wood, walnut. And the wood grain is so beautiful. And the detail and the time that he puts into it, it's just the first time I saw him, I remember sending him a message saying, I'm watching everything you're doing. And he laughed and he said, well, I'm watching you too. I was like, okay. <laughs> so we've become friends online. Um, but there's another guy I watch. His name, his Instagram name is uh, Cruzy Babby. And he's a complete quadriplegic. He drives a sip and, tuff, sip and puff wheelchair and he paints with his mouth. Wow. And one, of these, one of these days, I'm going to meet this dude because he's an inspiration to me. And I want to swap some paintings. And nice. He does a, a rock lobster that's just killer. And he does it with his mouth. I mean, you know, I, I look at what I do and I'm like, man, it sucks the position I'm in, but that dude's rocking, you know. So any ideas or any hopes to collaborate with any of these people or any other artists? Um, actually, I have collaborated with a couple. Um, there's a friend of mine, Todd. And he, he and I are working on a, uh, and he made dolphins. He's still there. Looks like he's struggling. Yeah, ridiculous button here. You've done a collaboration with Todd. And what does Todd do? Um, Todd and I did a uh, dolphin water wall. Okay. It's la layers of plywood that I carved to look like water. And we stained it. And then he built little dolphin fins out of metal. So it's a pod, essentially. Oh, I and, remember that. I do remember seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And so he he's far more experienced with all this than I am. And he's got an agent and everything. So... It's going with him to to go to greener pastures, I guess. So, but so far, that's the only only collaboration I've done with other artists. Um, there are others that I think would be fun. It's kind of cool to do. Um, they're further too far afield to do it with. The other thing I've run across is there are a lot of artists that are really guarded about what they do. Yeah. And uh, they get really nervous when you start talking about wanting to work with them. Right. Um, me, I don't care. I'll show you what I do, show you how I do it. Right. You know, I don't know. I think part of what makes mine unique is that a lot of the way it ways it comes out is just simply because I'm working within the parameters of what my body will let me do. Right. So if you can do the herky-jerky paintings <laughs> that, that, I, that I do and make it look like mine, okay. But... So for you guys that can't see him, because this will just be audio for the podcast, if you ever meet him in person at the farmer's market or any of these other events around town, he doesn't look like he has any sort of paralysis or any different ability than any of us, except maybe he'll be a little slower or it looks like he's holding one of his hands really close to him. So why don't you finish the story for me when I was there at your house picking up my octopus that you did for me, which I love it every day, looking at my office. You had said someone asked you if they could use a bandsaw for oh, yeah. cabinets. And what was your internal reply to that? Um, to that? I, no, I, I I gave him the, the reply. I didn't, it wasn't internal. I, I told him flat out. I'm like, no, no, 
but you can come over and use it. I don't want to mess up your piece of wood. Because <laughs> he just didn't my... realize that you didn't have the ability to use that saw for what he wanted. Yeah, I, I use it the way I can use it. And within the, again, within the parameters of, of my disability, but I can't promise that what's going to come out the other end of that saw is going to be what he wanted. Okay. Well, so. You guys, what he's getting at is RJ couldn't have promised this guy level edge straight cabinets. He would have had shipwrecked looking cabinets. Uh, Does it amaze yep. you to think about how far you've come since that time when you had the accident and he told you you'll never walk again? Um, yeah, every day. It's not lost on me at all. Um, it, it, it drives me crazy to hear people complain about this or that and there are absolutely things in this world to be upset about um but most of the things are pretty pretty light you just let it go and, and so is that something that's changed for you that before would you say that before that day on the atv you were someone that should have let small things go but didn't and now that you've had this life-changing event that you've just what you said, you just go, you know, it's really not that important in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, but even after the accident, it took me a while to get to this point. And um, I don't know, did I tell you the story about when you're in a wheelchair, the world looks at you and treats you completely differently. Mm -hmm. They either pity you and treat you like you're someone to be pitied, or they act like you're not there. And all anybody with a disability wants, whether it's a developmental disability, whether it's physical, it runs a gamut. All they want is to just be included. Um, and unfortunately, it took me being in this position to realize that. But that's the, that's the real harsh reality. So knowing that, when you're in a wheelchair, um, parking in a parking spot that you don't necessarily look disabled, um, it took me a while to be able to handle the comments and all the things. Um, when I was going to college out in Oregon, one of my classes was a PE class that was for, um, was actually a therapy class. So I got physical therapy and credits and my teacher, the PE teacher, she figured out that I walked a lot more confidently in bare feet. But she said, you ever seen those Vibram five finger toe shoes? And I said, no, I don't think so. And she said, you ought to try some. So I got a pair. It turns out she's right. I could walk a whole, I, that was one of the big steps, and no pun intended, in my uh, recovery as far as getting better walking. Well, I would leave that PE class and go to my chemistry class. So I'm sitting in my wheelchair waiting in the, the uh, breezeway. And there's, I don't know, there's a handful of people in there, maybe eight or nine other people with me. And we're all doing our thing paying attention to ourselves and this two 20 something blondes come walking up and one says, Oh, wow, those are neat shoes. They're really cool. And I said, thank you. And her friend looks down at my feet, looks me in the face, looks down at my feet, looks me in the face and says, aren't those running shoes? And you, and basically she's implying that I'm wearing running shoes and I'm in a wheelchair and that doesn't make sense. And so in my head, uh, there's a nuclear bomb detonating and the profanity is about to just fly and I'm checking myself almost 
throwing up on myself, trying not to. Mind you, she's wearing yoga pants that she had no business wearing. <laughs> and I said, wow, that was really rude. I'd be like me saying, uh, aren't those workout pants? And you, um, and her friend took off and she was like, <gasps> and she tore off and everybody in the breezeway was standing there with their mouths hanging open. And one of the guys standing next to me said, I wish I had that on video. You'd be on the Today Show tomorrow. And I was like, that was awkward. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, people are just awful. Yeah, I had a friend of mine who was in a wheelchair for a little bit recovering after some surgery. And they just couldn't, they didn't have the strength to get up. It was abdominal surgery. And they noticed, they commented on that, that once they were better to the point where they just needed a walker, which meant they could sit at a table in a restaurant, so they looked normal. They noticed that, wow, I'm not being treated like a baby anymore. She said that was a really big wake-up call for her. She said, I would sit in that wheelchair, and here I am, a 50-year-old woman, and I'd have people come close to my face and talk to me like I was their dog. Yep. That little voice, and she would say, you know, she'd kind of pull her head back and want to like tap them in the forehead to be like, I'm, I'm right here, I'm an adult too, thank you so much. Um, but like you, she said she had her moments of just getting it together and kind of correcting them and saying, you know, I, I do understand fully what you're saying. I'm able to comprehend. It's my physical form right now that's kind of disabled. Not, I'm still here mentally. I can, I can understand what you're saying. Um, so yeah, I, I did get some of that insight from her. She did have that same experience, unfortunately. It took me, it took me a while to just let it roll off and just not care. Mm. Is it, and the way I, I look at it now is it's, it's their burden, not mine. Um, and if they want to carry that around with them, then so be it. But I don't have time for it. Um, probably the worst ones are nine out of 10 times when I park in a parking handicap spot. And you've seen what I drive. It's a lifted Jeep Wrangler. Um, I'll get at the very least dirty, dirty looks, but there are a lot of people that comment on it. Right. And initially, I used to pay attention to them. Like I still remember a very vivid interaction with a lady that was cutting me dirty looks, staring at the sign, staring at my Jeep and just being rude. And you know, I hopped out and like, what the hell is the problem? And she says, oh, we well, didn't look disabled. You didn't look like an asshole, but we're here now, aren't we? <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, uh, I, I was a, uh, a little rougher before my accident. So uh, I have since softened my edges. You noted. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was probably the last time that I let that, that affect me like that. And now I just let it roll off. Well, yeah. And that can't be easy. Um, but that awareness, that's amazing that you're at that place. That truly is amazing. Cause most people wouldn't, get to that place they wouldn't even be aware that oh you know i'm holding this in right now and i really should you know they would have just let that nuclear bomb go on that poor lady in the yoga pants you know, they wouldn't have even tried to so call back yeah i don't and i don't know what the trigger was it could be that just as far as knowing to not let those people get to me um i think maybe part of it is a lot of times it happens and my kids are around mm. um and they need to see that you don't need to fight every battle. You know, it's not necessary. It's, they're, they're the one picking the fight as long as you don't engage. It takes two people to fight. And 
And if you don't feel like it's your time to deal with it right then and there, then move on. And over time, it just became second nature to just let those people go. That is words to live by, my friend, truly, words to live by, especially in today's time with all that we have going on with COVID and Black Lives Matter and racial injustice. There's a lot of talking that needs to go on, but you know we don't necessarily need to let nuclear bombs go off on each other. Uh, we're we're all there's we're all different but we're all the same and it really does take two people to fight and if, if you want to have a conversation then that's great but if people want to start yelling then don't engage it's not worth it they're not listening no one's listening if you're yelling Correct. so anyway so i thank you for your time for sharing your story for your art for all that you do your courage in sharing and for your time today. I mean, you have a ton of other things to do. So RJ, if our listeners want to hook up with you after this interview, where is the best place to find you? Um, probably Instagram. Um, um, I mean, I haven't been in the past week. I've been doing a lot of stuff uh, around the house. So I've been putting a lot of stuff on there, but usually every two or three days, I'm kind of keeping people up to date on what I'm doing. And you still have your Etsy shop still? Um, no, actually I got really, I still, it's still open and all it has on there is my t-shirts, okay. which I'm running out of, but, um, which I'm going to have to go buy another one cause I bought one way back when and it's getting a little tattered. Cause I really, you guys, you gotta get on Etsy site and see these t-shirts. They're actual like pieces of art. I go to the gym and people are like, where did you get that cool shirt? And I'm like, my favorite local artist. Cause it has his, um, his insignia on the back. So you guys get to the Etsy shop and buy the t-shirts up cause they're awesome. Well, thank you. Terrible art. Terrible and my, uh, my website is up and running now with, and it is a point of sale website. So oh, awesome. um, art by RJ Higgins.com. All right. I will link that up in the show notes so that people can get it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kelly. Have a good evening. Yeah.